Hey everyone, this is Andrew Johnson. And this is Jake Reiner. And you're listening to No Contest, a Noal Studio podcast. A series of conversations with placemakers on the stuff that makes us human and the stuff that humans make. Hey everyone, today we're lucky to be joined by Scott Kranitsky on No Contest. Scott is the Chief Revenue Officer and Head of Community for the Charleston Battery Professional Soccer Team. Prior to joining the Battery, Scott worked as a digital strategist at Google, head of business development for a Silicon Valley startup called Standard Cyborg, and as a partner manager at Pinterest. He has an MS from the University of Oxford and a BS from Vanderbilt University. In his free time, Scott enjoys playing the fiddle with his band Drown Your Boots, playing soccer, and exploring new cities with his wife Alice and daughter Emmy. Scott, welcome. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Welcome. So what makes this conversation fun, other than the fact that we are talking about creating a sense of place in a soccer stadium, which is such a cool thing to talk about, is that you and I have been friends for a long, long time. It's true. Uh, way, way back when to the great state of New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Gar- Garden State Buddies, now, now off in different locations. And, and we were friends... Um, competing on the soccer field uh when we were little kids right it was a pretty a pretty heated rivalry i remember we met and i think we were both shocked that we liked hanging out with each other because i think we both maybe this is just me i built up i mean you were a hothead on the soccer field and i built up this image <laughs> of you being this like you know you know not so nice person and then i met you i was almost a little disappointed i was like nah, like really nice guy off the field yeah and you were a bone crusher um of a soccer yeah i, I mean i wasn't uh I wasn't the nicest person on the field either. Yeah, how would you how would you describe your game? I don't know about bone crusher, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I was uh, tenacious. You could say I feel like I was less like less of a trash talker than you were, but more of a like I'm going to shoulder check you into the sideline sort of a thing. Jake did the trash talk, and you did the cleanup, pretty much. And then when we joined forces playing soccer together. Um, we were truly uh, a terror to deal with. <laughs> right. So, so Scott, uh, given that everyone in our audience has seen Ted Lasso, maybe not fully caught up, but certainly seen it, um, who do you think on AFC Richmond most resembles you and your game? <laughs> Definitely Roy Kent, for sure. <laughs> Just like yeah. hard-nosed. Gets very upset with teammates if they're not giving 110% effort um, on on the field, off the field. I don't think so, but on the field for for sure. That's awesome. I agree. That was a leading question. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I got to watch it, Joe. Oh, Andrew. I know. I'm missing out. I'll get the Apple TV. I'll get on board with the cool kids. Well, I feel like it's a show now that there's so few shows like, you know, American Idol or those like broadcast TV shows where you feel like most of the country is tuning in. I feel like Ted Lasso is the closest show in the last few years that's really gaining a national following. Like it's also bizarre. We'll have people show up to our soccer games and they're like, we've been watching Ted Lasso. We want to check it out. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm glad it's helping. <laughs> it's great. That's awesome, man. So, let, so about that, right? So let's talk about your professional career. First off, how did you get into professional soccer? Because I know you started in tech and then kind of had an interesting experience in between. Yes, my career path is long, winding, and makes very little sense. Um, so I, um, yeah, I did after I went to to grad school right after right out of undergrad, um, and I did a 
graduate program in the very specific field of, of refugee and forced migration studies. Wow. Um, very specific. Yes, very, very specific um, and dealt with a lot of issues around music and identity. And uh, I wrote my master's thesis on Palestinian hip hop music and sense of place. So uh, I was, I've kind of always been interested in um, sense of place and, and kind of culture in the arts and, and how that affects that. Uh, and then I <laughs> took a very different turn and went into the tech world. So I worked at Google for a few years uh, and um, had a great experience. I, I learned so much there, um, just some amazing mentors and people that I met there and um, worked at a, uh, a startup called Tongle, um, an even smaller startup, as you alluded to in the intro, called Standard Cyborg. Um, but kind of throughout my whole career, I've been wanting to get back to a place where I could combine my love of community building um, and um, fascination with the growth of cities and how they grow and everything that's complicated along with that, um, along with my love of business and entrepreneurship. Um, I was not applying for jobs in the sports world, but um, the CEO and founder of a company called Tongle that I used to work for um, him and his, his family and their ownership group bought the Charleston Battery in October 2019. Um, we had stayed in touch over the years, and there was a really unique opportunity to come in and um, run the community and business, um, basically front office side of the club. Um, and it's been really exciting. But uh, yeah, I moved, moved to Charleston, but it's definitely a long and winding path. But it seems like each career experience I've had actually has really um, come in to help me uh, and, and what I'm doing here. Super cool, man. And, and I read on Wiki, uh, Wikipedia, I don't know if this is true or not, that the Charleston battery is one of the oldest U S soccer clubs. Is that true? Yes. We are the oldest continuously run men's professional soccer team in the U S. So we started in 1993. There's a lot of pride in that fact. It's funny, right? Cause for English soccer teams, it'd be like an extremely new club, but for the U S uh, it's ancient and it's really cool. Cause we have generations of fans now since 93. So we have fans now that are season ticket holders that talk about coming with their parents with them when they were seven and eight that are now bringing their kids to games. And that doesn't exist really anywhere else in U.S. soccer. Um, so there's a lot of pride and history in the club. And we're a club that's knocked off a lot of MLS teams in our time. Um, we're kind of like a smaller city that's always had a chip on her shoulder about beating the bigger clubs. And uh Another fun fact is we are the only USL championship club to ever make the final of the US Open Cup. We lost narrowly to DC United. Um, so um, there's, there's a really rich history. And, um, you know, we have fans that can name me the leading scorer, you know, back from 1995, 96, 97. Um, a lot of pride in that. Yeah. What, what is that fan community like in the city of Charleston? It's really special and unique. Uh, I was thrilled to, to come down here for, for this role. And I moved down here from New York City to Charleston. It's a really unique community and a really unique city as well. I think there's a lot of layers to Charleston. Um, there's certainly, you know, in many ways, it is a, a vacation destination, tourist town. And that's exists and it's amazing, right? There's great beaches. There's some of the best bars and restaurants in the country. We're always on the number one of, you know, top cities in the U.S. to visit. Um, and that's wonderful, but there's also uh, more layers of, of the locals that live here year-round. 
Uh, and there's even like bars and restaurants that very much are thought of as local establishments and kind of almost have, you know, different price points and uh, different locations that you can find. So I even feel like the longer I've lived here, you kind of like explore even further down the road of places that are really special. And um, our fan community here, our supporter community is, is really strong. Um, we have people that have been season ticket holders for 20 years and we have you know, chance for players that have existed now. It's crazy. It's like decades. Um, and it's a really welcoming community. Uh, it's a really accepting community of supporters. Um, and it's exciting because we're in a unique time where we have a lot of new fans and supporters coming in. So it's really fun to see the old and the new connecting. And you see that really visibly at tailgates. And, you know, you'll have people like, come on in. And you'll have someone who just moved to Charleston. There's a ton of people moving here with someone who's been here for decades and it's a really cool dynamic of like, let me tell you about the history of this club and, and young people that are trying to connect with the new location. And I can't think of a better way than soccer to try to connect with uh, a new city and, and what that identity is in Charleston. Wow. And I, and I guess to that point, right? So since Charleston is a growing city and you're seeing a large influx of people moving through Charleston, how is that aligned with the growth of the soccer community? And then is there anything about the Southeast that makes you know, this so prime for, for new clubs? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, growth of cities is always complicated, right? There's, there's good and bad that comes with that. Um, for us, it's been a real opportunity because um, there's a lot of fans from other teams and cities that move here that want to adopt their new local club. And we're seeing a lot of that people and it's really, really fun. Um, and it's cool to see them like really learn the players and come back game after game and to get really into it. Um, and then, um, sorry, but the second, what was the second part of your question? No, it's totally fine. So yeah, we're just wondering, you know, is there anything about the Southeast that makes it so prime for these new pro clubs? Yeah, I think Atlanta United's a really good example because for years people were saying that soccer, a professional soccer team would never work in the South and Atlanta United came in and flipped that narrative completely on its head. I mean, they outdraw the Atlanta Falcons. They're the top you know, arguably the most successful MLS club from a business perspective, you know, drawing 40 to 50,000. So it was, I think, a really exciting and galvanizing force in the Southeast to see that that was possible. Um, and this is happening across the country, but certainly in South Carolina as well. Youth soccer just continues to boom. You know, among 18 to 34-year-olds, viewership is declining in American football. It's declining in baseball. Basketball is probably one of the few major sports that's doing all right um, in terms of viewership, but um, soccer just continues to boom. I mean, I was at um, an outdoor patio for the Liverpool-Manchester City game in Charleston. There were 90 people there. That's and, great. Um, that wasn't happening 10 years ago. Um, so it's it's cool to see that. And from a lot of what I, what I say to folks is, hey, like you – I'm a Liverpool fan, right? It's support your team abroad and support your local team uh, and have both of those. That's definitely been a long history in England, right? You have people that support the uh, premiership team, but then everybody like supports their league one local team as well. Um, and it's fun. I love it. We have people at battery games. They'll have like a battery Jersey and a Liverpool Jersey or, you know, whatever their team might be. And it's, uh, it's fun to see the overlap between those supporters groups. Sweet. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, I, I'm curious. So in what ways is thinking about a soccer audience similar or different to working with corporations at Pinterest and Google? 
It feels a lot more personal. Um, just be, I think one of my favorite parts of the role is that I am meeting people face to face every match during the week. So a lot of my role is meeting with community organizations. And I think it's why it's one of the big reasons I took the job is I love getting to meet with the local head of the LGBTQI plus youth organization here in Charleston and um, both, you know, things that are going well for them and not so well in ways we can partner with making our stadium a more inclusive place, making the city a more inclusive place. Um, and with Google and Pinterest, I learned so much on the the business side about, you know, understanding people's marketing objectives, right? That like is super helpful when I talk with sponsor and partners because a more stereotypical sports thing is like, hey, you have a field board, like slap your logo on it. And the way that we try to approach the conversation is, well, what are your marketing goals and objectives? Maybe slapping your logo on a field board helps. Maybe it doesn't. Like, can we get creative around, you know, maybe some really cool short video content that reaches a certain segment of the population. So on the partnership side, that experience is invaluable. Um, But I think what makes it different is rather than tracking, you know, click-through rates and CPMs, um, I'm getting to go out to local bars and community organizations and say, what do you want to see in a soccer club? Um, So a lot of what I get to do is just talk and listen to people, which makes for a pretty awesome job. Um, And I think that's one of the things that, I missed at Pinterest and Google was like that human, that human interaction, like really like meeting your, I even hate using the word consumers. They're like our partners, right? I think of that. It's not like, I don't think of it as a consumer. It's a, it's a fan. It's a supporter. It's people that are an integral part of what we're doing. And I think that makes it different. So it certainly helped a ton. Um, Cause when we talk inside, be like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, college of Charleston has 10,000 students. How do we make this an exciting experience for them? You know, that background of, you know, kind of design thinking mentality, like what would they want to see helps. Um, But I just love, I love the human interaction part of it that I get here. That's great. Um, It's a perfect segue to us talking about the physical design of your stadium. Oh, lovely. Yeah, exactly. Probably the most obvious way that um, a, a soccer club interfaces with the community, right? Like the most visible grand structure. Um, I want to take you through uh, an exercise that somewhat resembles what we do with clients. So um, when we work with clients, we help them think about spatial projects at various scales, the neighborhood, the block, the building, the zone, all the way down to the unit or the office or whatever whatever singular level uh, we're working with. In this case, it's the seat. It's the, it's the stadium seat. So I'm wondering if we can go through a similar uh, but abridged version of that exercise with you. Is that is that okay? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, cool. All right. So let's start at the neighborhood level. What's the batteries facilities neighborhood like? And how do you think about the relationship between the neighborhood and the stadium? Yes. Uh, so it, there's a few layers to this, actually. Um, so the stadium, I'm going to give a little backstory, maybe more than you wanted. But the stadium um, with the prior ownership group was in an area of Charleston called Daniel Island. Um, so Charleston's a really interesting place in that you have the peninsula, but it's essentially like seven different communities and geographic regions in one. So you have like James Island and John's Island and um, Daniel Island, and they're all part of Charleston, but they all have slightly different vibes and communities. So um, Daniel Island is a beautiful place. Um, It is a wonderful place with a lot of um, families. It's gorgeous. It's um, 
a little bit more of a difficult place for, hey, I want to grab a beer before or after the game. Um, a little bit tougher for, you know, it's a little bit further away from kind of downtown and where a lot of younger people live. Um, so it's something that the ownership group thought um, long and hard about when they bought the club is like, where's going to be the new location for it? And for us, that wound up being uh, an area called Patriots Point. Um, so it's really centrally located. It took the stadium from being, you know, 25 minutes away from the downtown center of Charleston to about uh, seven minutes away. Um, and uh, a mile away, you know, really walking distance from a really popular area called Shem Creek. So for us, thinking about the stadium is like not just the stadium, but to your point, the neighborhood. Like what else is around there? What is the view like? Um, how easy is it there to get to? What is parking like? And um, our stadium has a gorgeous view of the Ravenel Bridge, which is kind of an iconic viewpoint in Charleston. It's a gorgeous bridge. It's pretty new design and architecture. And one of the key things of our stadium, it's, it's, you know, you can truly see the sunset over this bridge. It's an iconic view. Um, and in our neighborhood, it's, it's one that is changing. Um, there's apartment complexes that are going up. Um, and there's a lot of other exciting plans that should be coming in in the next few years. So we feel like we're at the beginning of this exciting stage in this little neighborhood called Patriots Point. It's like a section of a larger area called Mount Pleasant. Um, and we feel like we're at the beginning of something really special there in terms of what's, um, coming in the area. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. It's, um, that's the sense that I got from you is that you're, you're kind of at the precipice of, of this neighborhood being more walkable, more accessible, having elements that entertain your, um, your consumers outside of just the stadium itself. Exactly. Yeah. So how about the entrance of the stadium? Walk us through considerations around that first moment you walk in, which, by the way, is my like favorite part of going to a game is that moment you walk through whatever the gate looks like and, and you kind of capture the energy of, of the experience. What, what did you think about building, you know, designing that? Yeah, because the stadium we came into was um, we partner with the College of Charleston. So uh, the existing where the stadium was, it was about 800 seats um, and mostly just one stand on one side of the stadium. We came in and put in an additional 3,100 seats into the stadium and wow. there was only one entrance. We put three additional entrances. Um, so we thought about all this. We were like, okay, where should they go? What is the flow of traffic going to look like? How do we transform this facility? Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this later. We're adding we're going to be at a 5,000 person capacity. So we, there's kind of two phases. There was like what we came into phase one, which was this year. And then we have another massive building project next year. And a lot of what we're thinking about is like what's worked or hasn't worked in this phase of the stadium. And what do we do for the next one? But we can get to that. So if the phase one, um, we put in two different gates. So we put in a, a West gate and a South gate. Um, and the West gate leads into an area we call the battery pavilion. And that's really important because the battery pavilion is the focal point of pre-match activity. Um, so it is a large food and beer garden. It's very open space. It's actually worked out really well with COVID because there's lots of room to walk around. If you want to be kind of on your own little like nook and cranny of that, that's great. We actually built a small music stage there wow. as well. So when you enter that Westgate, the first thing you see is local food trucks, a local musician on stage, um, picnic tables, uh, the smell of wood-fired pizza. We've got like a true wood-fired pizza oven with our partner Coastal Crust that's there. So you're smelling the food. 
you seeing the the stadium and the players warming up on the right hand side and then music food you know uh great drink on the left hand side so it kind of like hits all the senses when you walk in and the idea is to get you know excitement right that idea is like i am entering a not a sacred place but like you know a a new experience you're entering a new realm outside of you know everyday life and um we've uh we've joked that the pavilion area is like too successful because like people don't want to sit in their seats they just want to they want to grab a beer and hang out in the drink rails and watch the game so um i'm really excited that you know you never know when you build something you can guess what people will like um but i think also people like standing up while watching a game and kind of leaning over a drink rail or families for sure love like you know we we built so part of my listening tour was what do you want to see? And they're like, oh, if we had a kid, you know, an area for our kids to play. And I was like, ah, like, I don't know about building a playground, but we, something that I think worked out better, we built a little mini turf kids pitch. So we have like soccer counselors. So like five, six, seven year olds are running crazy with soccer balls in there. We have the drink rail. So mom and, you know, mom and dad can have a beer and watch the game while they can see their kids playing in the kitsch pitch. So it's kind of like, again, I'm a parent of a small one. I was like, okay, I want to make sure I can see my kid. I could see the game and like the bars in between. Uh, and that's right. what we tried to try to build. That sounds optimal. That's great. Um, and I love how you think about all of the senses. I think that's something that we try to coach a lot of our, our clients through is, you know, it's not just, it's not just one sense, like the, the way things sound, the way things smell, um, all of those elements really contribute to the experience. Yeah. And, and do you feel, feel welcome when you go in, right? If you enter a stadium and you feel lost, or you don't know where to go, right? It's like small things like signage. Like how do you, do people know where the restrooms are, right? Um, like all those things. And I think we've learned a lot. Like I still do this, but I um, I joke that I like, I work in soccer, but I like, I don't like, I watch less than I've been able to because I like watch the game when I get home. Because during the game, I'm literally like walking around looking, where are people walking? Why are they walking in that direction? Like are some areas too crowded? So I'm usually just like, taking notes on my phone during the game and like sitting in different sections of the stadium to think about, you know, what we could do to make the experience better. So cool. Um, what about the various zones? You talked about this, this entrance zone where the pavilion is and the picnic tables and the wood, uh, wood stove, wood oven, pizza. Uh, what about those other zones? Like how did you think about them and the various sources of and centers of gravity throughout the stadium? Yeah. So a really vibrant part of the stadium is our supporter section. So, uh, Andrew, I know you and Jake are familiar with this, but any listeners who are less familiar with soccer culture, a supporter section generally goes behind the goal. Um, and it's where you have, um, you know, your super fans in soccer, they're generally called supporters groups. So a very unique thing in the sport of soccer is you will have self-organizing groups of supporters. Some teams have multiple of them. Um, and they're, um, independent of the front office of clubs, right? So there's a really unique dynamic. We have a really good and close relationship with our supporters group called the regiment. Um, but they, you know, they organize their own community events. We certainly like to support them however we can. They organize their own tailgates and the old stadium, um, had a supporter section, but it was on the, um, sideline, not on the end line. So one of the really um, wise things the new owner did when he bought the club was meet with the supporters and said, Hey, like, what are you guys looking for? We're building up the stadium. And they're like, we want a supporter section behind the goal. And I said, okay. And they're like, don't give us seats. 
we'll rip them out. We want we want a standing room with a drink rail. We don't want seats because we're standing the whole game. We said, okay, we, we can do that. So we built a supporter section that, um, you know, about 75% of it is, is standing with drink rails and um, not seats. And um, that area, again, this is all done on the supporters, not from us, is uh, they hang up. It's decorated with flags across the entire area. Um, we have players from 13 different countries. So our supporters get a new, buy a new flag every time we have a player from a new country. So we have flags from Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica and Sweden and Italy, which is really cool and colorful when you're walking in. And that's kind of like the lifeblood of the stadium. Like when goals are scored, there's flares that are going off in the stadium, confetti's being fired. Um, and even people who are like, okay, that's a little too crazy for me. I'm not sitting there are definitely always still looking over the supporter section of like the drums going off. And even if they're like, I'm going to sit in my seat, which is okay. Like they kind of really get a kick out of what's going on in the section and what, you know, ridiculous chants are going on over there. So that's, that's a really important section of the stadium. Uh, it's also interesting, like from a business side, it's it sold out almost every match. I think people see it and they're like, I want to be in that section. Like that looks yeah. like a really fun time, um, which is cool. Um, so that's, that's a really important part. And then, we've built out different seating and different price options, right? So we have like super nice cushion seats that are at a higher price point. Uh, and then we want to make sure we have affordable family options that are kind of more of your bleacher seating um, as well. So we really try to fit kind of like price points uh, with different types of seating. And we're always, you know, one thing we're thinking about this off season, like what new amenities can we provide and how can we, we know the supporter section is like really nicely differentiated um, but it's like almost how do you brand and make other sections unique because fans have traditions with sections, right? There's people like, you know, our family's been in E4. We've been in E4 for five years. Like this is what we do there. And you kind of build it up. And I think we still have some work to do that we're excited about to not just the supporter section, but to have kind of other little nooks that they're like, Hey, this is our area. Like this is where we sit. And these are our traditions in that section. Gosh, I got to go to a game. This sounds so fun. Come on, come on down guys. It's a good excuse to get to Charleston for sure. Um, so Scott, we want to get into our favorite topic here, which is brand. How would you describe the Charleston Battery brand? Yeah, so um, we did a brand refresh when the new ownership group came over. So we updated um, our logo. It was a really interesting and important process. We wanted to honor the history of the club, but we wanted to give it a refresh. And that's a pretty, that can be a really complicated process, right? Like sure. there's a lot of attachments to logos and, um, especially in sports clubs. Yeah. in sports clubs, right. We have, there's apparel that's been a certain way. So we wanted to honor the traditions of the club, but also give it a little bit of a lift. We had a, um, a fantastic designer, um, that we hired that we, we really think hit it out of the park with the, the logo refresh. Um, but for, for us, in terms of what we stand for as a brand, um, we talk about this a lot as an organization. Um, uh, community, like first and foremost, is what we stand for. And we like to think of ourselves as, you know, this is the city's club and organizations, and we are trying to help, um, you know, steer and guide the ship, but ultimately... We want it to be the voice of the community that are leading things. So whether that's getting community input on stadium buildouts um, or you know even smaller things, that's really important. So community is like really what our brand stands for. Um, inclusivity, which is a really big thing and important to us, 
Uh, and we try to be very outspoken uh, about what that looks like um, as well. So I think that's a really important part. Um, and um, we did like a whole brand exercise uh, with this refresh as well. So I figure I feel like I should have like pulled that out in terms of the words that we would use. Um, I think um, we like to use the words um, like cheeky, but without gimmicks, right? We are not, um, that's, that's a line we like to use, right? And we're thinking at what kind of social media content we're putting out. Like we're not um, goofy, right? We're not like silly, but we like to be able to be like a little sarcastic at times. I, I, I like the British term cheeky, right? Which is kind of like a little like sly wit, maybe some dry humor sometimes. Um, but we really wanted to differentiate ourselves from what say like, um, minor league baseball, right. Which is different, right. We're not going to have 20 different theme nights. The focus is going to be on the product on the field and a great elevated food and drink experience. It's not about dollar beers and $2 hot dogs. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right. They're very different things, but for us, like we want a really high quality, um, product uh and we want to be cheeky but we're not going to do like um mascot races around the field um and it's interesting because there are soccer clubs that do that and there's nothing wrong with that but that's why that brand exercise was so important that's why coming up with that cheeky but without gimmicks right we never want to be gimmicky um in in what we're doing as well so hopefully that describes a little bit about community base really want to be inclusive and reach out to all areas of charleston and we're just scratching the surface of what that looks like um, and we want to be fun and engaging, but, um, we really want people to care about what's going on in the field too. And, and they, and they do. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because Jake and I, I feel like at this point we're, we're beating a dead horse here, but you know, having a brand sets guardrails in terms of what you can and cannot do and what you should do. And it helps build that experience. So there isn't ever a time where you're like, Oh, should we do this? It's more of, yes, we can do this. Um, and that's what, eliminates the mascot runs around the soccer pitch and all that other cheeky stuff yeah or or, or not cheeky stuff not not cheeky cheeky stuff stuff. yeah gimmicky stuff yeah i think it's important too because obviously you know creative can be subjective that's the nature of it but having those guardrails helps too. like even eliminate some of my personal biases right because it's good you know I'm sure my team loves this um saying this sarcastically when i'm like oh scott's got some idea and I always say, like, push back on me if this doesn't hit our brand guardrails. And our team will, which is great. And they'll be like, hey, Scott, like, fun idea of, like, does this really hit what we're looking for? And it also eliminates us, I would say, getting, like, quick and cheap wins, right? Like, there's social posts we could put in, put on that would probably get a lot of traction, but don't really fit our brand, right? And that's kind of like a cheap and a short-term win where building the long-term brand and organization is really important. So I think it guards us from that in terms of what we're doing. And to that, you guys recently made some um, some sponsorship decisions. Uh, how did you guys select those sponsorships or partners um, in the context of the Charleston Battery brand? Yeah, it's really important, right? Because there, there are some, um, you know, our partners, right? That's part of who we are as an organization. So you have to be careful that to partner with organizations you believe in. Um, and that we also, you know, like what they're doing in the community, um, from, you know, part, some of our partners, some of the really important early ones were in the food and drink category. So for those who haven't been to Charleston, like a lot of our city revolves around hospitality and food and beverage. Like, I feel like 
in some cities, you know, there's kind of like a, when we think of the creative pulse of Charleston, like so much is in our chef culture, right? Like that is the table topic. You, if you're like having dinner with friends, like it revolves around like, what is your favorite recent restaurant? And ex chef had this protege who's now started a restaurant and it's fun. Like there's so much creativity in the, um, the culinary scene here in Charleston. So in terms of like sponsors, partners, a big was like, we well, need to find the right food partners. So, um, Coastal crust is a really cool one I like talking about. So they're a, um, like a specialty wood-fired pizza place. They uh, have a few locations, one of them which is you know three minutes away from our stadium. So we were excited because we really wanted to keep things local on food and drink. Like it's not going to work in Charleston if you bring in like, no offense, but a, you know, like Papa John's in the stadium. It's like, no, 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 it's not, it's not going to work here. Uh, so we're like, great. Like we're going to do it right. So coastal crust has a truck with a full, like these are made to order wood fired pizzas. I don't know of any stadiums that really do that. Like truly they're taking order. They're like kneading the dough, putting it in there. Um, and the owner of the company used to play for the Charleston battery, which is really awesome. So mm-hmm. kind of, and we really Full wanted circle. to, a partner that's like, he understands the Charleston battery. He was really behind the new era of what we're doing. And he cares. Like he, a lot of the games, he's like making the pizzas himself too, which is really cool. And he cares so much about the quality of product, the experience of what we're providing. So they were a great early on partner. Another one, um, a place called Home Team Barbecue. Um, they've got, their first location was in Charleston, they just expanded to Greenville. They had actually have a location in Aspen, believe it or not. And um, their name is kind of the home team. It's always their their branding is around like always support the home team. So they've got, you know, local jerseys. But again, in Charleston, it's not like it's really good barbecue. Like it's pretty elevated stuff. Um, and they are like bring their own deep fryers for wings in the stadium, like making it there. Uh, they really care about the quality of the product. So those were kind of our two first um food partners were that were really really big and then hopefully i'm not giving you too much detail like one other one is um a brewery partnered with called rusty bowl they're a local craft brewery and they actually brewed a custom canned beer for us i really wanted a can because i really wanted to have something that people uh could hold and see um our designer here um Ben Clemens did a fantastic job so the can design actually shows kind of like an outline of the stadium with a really cool graphic um and it's called strike strikers wit it's a wheat beer oh that's um, great which is fun and it's been cool we're seeing it in stores all over town so it's really fun to sometimes show up to a a barn like you know see the can with the charleston battery logo with rusty bull there so um on the food and beverage side those partners were huge but we really wanted to work with beloved brands in the community um can i give one more example of course yeah go ahead there's one other one that's definitely worth people checking out um it is one of the most insane, bizarre, and amazing Instagram accounts. It is a place called The Co-op. Um, and they their kind of huge thing is um, Froze, uh, and they do sandwiches. And um, let me just say their social media accounts, the best word to describe it would be unhinged. Um, <laughs> it is... It is, it is wild. Uh, parents out there, not exactly a safe for work Instagram account, but uh, they talk about brand building. They've certainly built one. Um, really great, super fun people. And um, people go crazy for their frosé. And I think part of it's like the frosé is really good, but also the people that are there are just 
so fun and engaging. So they, uh, they come out to each and every game. There's usually lines 20 people long. Um, and that's been really, really fun. Again, usually don't think of Frose with soccer, but in Charleston, you do. it's a, it's a combo that, uh, definitely works. And, uh, I'm not going to lie. Part of my post-match, uh, refreshment has definitely been a, uh, a Frose. I recommend it. That's good. That's great. I love it. Um, I'm uh, at right after this recording, I'm going on to Instagram to check that out. You, you've piqued my interest. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy. Awesome. So time for one last question here. Um, uh, looking into the future, what do you, what do you think the future of soccer specific stadiums is in the U S and what do you see more broadly as an opportunity for professional sports stadiums? Oh man. It's a big question. Uh, I, I only I only ask big questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think soccer specific stadiums, quite frankly, have transformed. Have already started transforming the sport in the U.S. Right? I remember as a kid going to Red Bulls, then called the Metro Stars, in Giant Stadium, right? And they'd have twenty thousand people, but in a sixty thousand person stadium, and frankly, the experience was terrible. Like they had all these fans, but it looked completely empty. There was no atmosphere with it. They built a beautiful stadium in Harrison, New Jersey, and now they'll put, you know, I don't have the stats exactly correct, right? But they'll put whatever, 20,000 people in a 25,000 person stadium, and it's freaking awesome, right? And we've seen that across the U.S., um, you know, unless you are Atlanta United, generally going in a football stadium doesn't work. Um, but And that's because of atmosphere. It's exactly everything we've talked about today. How can it be intimate? How do you feel close to the action? Um, how can it be just the right amount of loud so you feel your experience is something unique? Our league in particular is kind of going under undergoing that transformation right now. Um, I think a lot of the successful teams are building these awesome five to 10,000 person soccer specific stadiums. And I think 10 years ago or even five years ago is a lot of teams playing in minor league baseball stadiums which is difficult, right? Like the angles and the sight lines just aren't right. And I'm happy to really see in our league that that's changing rapidly. Um, and the teams that are making those changes and have soccer specific stadiums like our own are really reaping the benefits just because of that atmosphere. So it, it makes all the difference um, in the world because of that atmosphere it's created. And that's what like, soccer is about. That's why soccer is different from any other sport. Like there are not other sports where fans have chance individually for each player. Like, that doesn't happen in an NBA game other than repeating the players. Like we have songs with three stanzas for each player. Like it's crazy. Um, and then I think soccer as a whole in the U S is going to continue to growing rapidly. And I think that's because um, the teams that are really connecting with communities uh, and diverse communities are really going to be successful. I think that's a big area of growth for us here in Charleston. That I really care about is, I think we're doing a really good job in downtown Charleston areas, but how do we reach out to other areas? Um, how do we reach out to, you know, there's, we have a really um, fantastic Portuguese population here, right? We have a, um, a number of people that are, you know, immigrating here. How do we make sure we reach out to people of all different uh, races and languages? And that's my favorite thing about the sport, right? It is a truly global sport. Um, and I think that's something that, soccer can capture in the u.s um and i really do want to be you know our stadium to be a melting pot um for all areas of charleston and again that's that's what atlanta did right too it is you know it's really a diverse group of fans that are coming in there um which makes a better app it's the right thing to do but it also makes for a fantastic atmosphere at the games too yeah that's great 
So Scott, where can people find out more about the Charleston Battery? Yeah, I recommend following us on our social media accounts. So at Charleston Battery, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then charlestonbattery.com. We have regularly updated content. So um, that's a great way to learn about the team. But follow us on social channels, follow us on charlestonbattery.com. We have people that come um, from outside of Charleston all the time to our matches. We now have like a group of super pans in Edinburgh because of our relationship with Hibernian, the Scottish club over there, which is amazing. I think when hopefully we'll see if life returns to some semblance of normal, we have a group that's like ready to fly over and I cannot wait to uh, welcome a large contingent of rowdy Scottish fans at our stadium here in Charleston. Um, but we, I kind of call them like Charleston battery. You know, it's really is a network. Like we have, fans in Seattle and Chicago and New York. Cause there's a lot of people that lived in Charleston have moved elsewhere that still follow the team really closely. Um, we have season ticket holders that don't even live in Charleston anymore, but <laughs> they just want to keep being a part of the club and supporting what we're doing. So that's a great way to find out about it. And uh, you know, we're hoping to grow this, not just in Charleston, but uh, who knows, you know, na- nationwide. We definitely have two more fans here. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. Would love to have you guys, uh, down here now that we've talked about the stadium experience you'll have to come see it for yourself yeah sounds good well thanks scott for joining us and for everyone listening in thank you for joining us for another episode of no contest thanks guys thanks again for listening to the no contest podcast for more information make sure to follow us on social media or check us out at nowalls.studio